The Gospel of John makes it plain that Jesus was buried in a garden. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, John writes. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, wherein was never man laid. John is writing a masterpiece in which every word counts. By mentioning the garden tomb twice in quick succession, he is signaling to his readers that something wonderful is about to happen in that garden. He is inviting those who love Scripture to recall the beautiful love poetry of the Song of Solomon, where the sweethearts meet in a garden amid blossoming flowers, sweet fragrances, and birdsong, and where they gather lilies. John describes the burial of the crucified Son of God, and then he prepares his audience for the next act in the great drama of salvation, and it takes place in a garden. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb of Jesus early in the morning on the first Easter day. She goes to the tomb to mourn her lost teacher. She goes to honor the last resting place of her master. On arrival, she discovers that even that privilege has been taken away from her. The tomb is empty, and there's nobody to honor with her tears. Mary stands there weeping because death has won a victory. She stands there weeping because death has abolished hope. She stands there weeping because death has once again proved to be all-powerful. Mary doesn't grasp the significance of Jesus' tomb being in a garden. In the Bible, only kings are buried in gardens. The book of Nehemiah gives us the lo location of the tomb of the great King David in Jerusalem. Nehemiah says it is near the pool of Shiloh in a place called the King's Garden. But Mary has no notion that this garden resembles the last resting place of David, the hero king of times past. In that arid climate, where desert and wilderness always threaten to overwhelm fertility, kings learned from the Babylonians and the Persians how to plant gardens with pools and springs and fountains, making everything green. They also borrowed a Persian word for these gardens of delight. The word is paradise. On the first Easter morning, Mary, intent on mourning the dead Jesus, has stumbled into paradise, but she doesn't understand what is happening. Mary doesn't grasp the significance of Jesus' tomb being in a garden. In the Bible, all life comes out of one special garden, the Garden of Eden. Eden is planted by God himself to be his paradise park. It's a place of fragrant and fruitful trees, watered by flowing streams. Eden is the source of life and joy. 
On the first Easter morning, Mary, intent on mourning the dead Jesus, has stumbled into Eden, but she doesn't understand what is happening. Mary doesn't understand the significance of Jesus' tomb being in a garden. In the Bible, God is a gardener. Genesis says that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Deuteronomy describes the promised land as full of vines and figs and pomegranates. The psalmist rejoices in how God has provided streams and springs to water the earth. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it, sings the psalmist. The prophet Isaiah says that the people of the Holy Land are God's pleasant planting. Mary is in the presence of the gardener God, but she doesn't grasp what is happening. Well, it's sad to confess that our world resembles Mary on the first Easter morning. We also find ourselves in a paradise but fail to recognize that truth. The earth is truly the garden of the Messiah, and the Messiah is present amid the pleasant planting of the Creator. But what do we see everywhere? Very few of us recognize the presence of the Creator, the divine gardener. Carbon dioxide produced by fossil fuels is trapping solar heat, causing the planet to become warmer. Glaciers and permafrost are melting. Sea levels are rising. Rainfall patterns are changing. Winds are growing stronger. Meanwhile, the deserts are spreading. Forests are shrinking. Fresh water is becoming scarcer. We thought we needed only to conquer nature, to find out her secrets and make her our obedient slave. We thought this conquest would make every man Adam and every woman Eve in an Eden forever. We're still marching on, bravely conquering nature, but how weary we are becoming. The emptiness of what we have achieved is becoming more and more apparent. The theologian Bill Wurzba tells about how uh, he discovered his strawberry patch, which he'd been cultivating, was overrun by ants and slugs. Just when the fruit was nearing perfect ripeness, so he went to his local garden center and surveyed the shelves of pest control products. He bought one and took it home. He was about to spray the strawberries with it when he read the label. There was a warning against allowing pets or children near the sprayed area for several days, and an insistence that any clothing in direct contact with the product should be burned. He made up his mind he would find a different way of dealing with the pests, rather than eating strawberries sprayed with this poison. Those who respect God the gardener, love his creation, and treat her with caution and with care, but there are many who prefer to extract, remove, and deplete. 
Too often the predicament of the good earth can be summed up in Hamlet's lament over the rotten state of Denmark. Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. Too many of us are neglecting, are shamefully neglecting God's paradise park. So where is hope to be found? What is the way forward for the faithful and for those who long to have faith? The resurrection story in the fourth gospel surprises us with hope, just as Mary herself was surprised. As Mary stands sobbing at the empty tomb, Jesus stands beside her. He asks her why she's weeping and who she's looking for. Supposing him to be the gardener, she asks him where the dead body of Jesus has been laid. You and I tend to read this sentence quickly. We want to get beyond Mary's mistaken assumption that it is the gardener she's talking to. We want to hurry on to the dawning of Easter faith in Mary's heart. We want to race ahead in the story to the place where Jesus calls Mary by name and she recognizes him as risen Lord. But let's slow down in our reading. Let's pause at that phrase, supposing him to be the gardener. Is she really mistaken? She has stumbled into the paradise park of the true king of Israel. She has wandered all unaware into a place that resembles Eden, the source of abundant life. She has now encountered one who asks why sorrow and despair should have any place in his joyful presence. Surely Jesus is the gardener. Think back to his ministry. He finds a community of friends and transplants them into a new Israel. He nurtures them, encouraging them to trust in God. He prunes them, correcting their mistaken ideas. He tells them they're like the branches of the true vine and that growing out from him, their lives will surely be fruitful. Mary is not mistaken. A new beginning has been made possible by the great act of God the gardener in raising his gardener son from the dead. Jesus is the gardener par excellence, caring for his dear ones. Around the year 1514, the Venetian painter Titian painted this resurrection scene, capturing the moment when Mary recognizes her Lord and reaches out for him. Jesus responds by commanding her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. Titian places the action in an Italian landscape with a spectacular view over distant valleys and with a sturdy town nearby. The foliage at Jesus' feet is colored a rich green and is flourishing, a sign that springtime is well advanced. The rays of the rising sun have caught the gable of a building in the near distance, symbolizing the dawn of God's new era. Titian's Mary is very much earthbound, wearing a scarlet dress that identifies her as a sinner. She kneels before Jesus and reaches out to him with an expression of joyful surprise. 
Jesus, as gardener, brandishes a a hoe in the same way that a triumphant warrior would brandish a flag. He twists away from Mary in order to avoid her hand, and the movement indicates that this gardener is free of all earthly constraints. As risen Lord, he will be present for his pleasant planting, wherever they may be. The artistician has painted a tall, slender tree in the background, wonderful with spring leaves. The tree causes the viewer to look heavenward. In Titian's painting, Mary is already experiencing the divine blessing. Soon she will run to find the other disciples and share with them the good news of Easter, the good news of Easter that the gardener Christ continues his work So the risen and exalted gardener Christ sets us to work in his garden. He commissions us to plant and to prune and to harvest. He passes on to us a gardener's love of every blooming thing, whether in nature or in human society. He urges us to look around and see that we are indeed living in the King's Paradise Park and that therefore more care is needed. During his 27-year imprisonment on Robben Island, Nelson Mandela persuaded his guards to allow him to cultivate a foot of soil up against the wall of his concrete exercise yard. He was also given 32 empty oil drums for growing vegetables and fruits. After his release in February 1990, he told how therapeutic it was to place his hands in the soil and to busy himself with the business of gardening. In the long captivity, this work contributed to his healthy state of mind. It's surely significant that Mandela the gardener emerged from prison into the political and racial conflict of South African society with no trace of resentment and no lust for revenge. Among his many significant sayings is this one, as I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. We who acknowledge the work of the gardener Christ can give thanks for Mandela's generosity of spirit and his huge contribution to the peaceful dismantling of the heartless tyranny of apartheid. The work of the gardener Christ continues as his disciples plant seedlings that one day will blossom and bear fruit for the good of the whole world. Thanks be to God. Amen.